in the last six months or so, I've come to love corn cakes. You know, corn cakes are kind of like rice cakes. Some of you, some of you might just say, well, oh yeah, those things that taste like cardboard. Well, I can tell you it didn't happen overnight. In fact, this sermon was almost titled, Why I Love Corn Cakes. Believe me, learning to truly love corn cakes has been quite a journey that took a lot of research, it took changing of my eating habits, and I might add, it took a lot of judging and judgment on my part. Well, I love multigrain bread, but with my new eating style and the types of foods that I prefer now came the conscious choice to carefully count my calories. And I've learned that where I can eat one average piece of bread, usually I can typically consume three or sometimes four corn cakes. Therefore, I've made the clear judgment on the matter. I will rarely eat bread, and I will regularly eat corn cakes. Indeed, even today, I stand in judgment of not only corn cakes and bread, but of everything I eat and drink. Hmm, judgment, judging. But should I be judging? Should I be standing in judgment of anything? I'm reading today to you from Matthew chapter 7, and the topical heading here is simply judging others. This is Jesus speaking. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be the measured, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. The word of God for us, the people of God, and we say, thanks be to God. Well, like most of life and like most of things recently, I never planned uh, that, uh, never planned at all that I would realize recently for about a four-day period, I stood in constant judgment of Snickers. Now, Snickers is a four-year-old 50-pound pit bull terrier from the local shelter here in Yuma. Wendy and I brought Snickers home on the Foster to Adopt program. This is where a family can take up to 30 days to see how things work out before they actually fully go through the adoption process and adopt the animal. Now, mind you, Snickers, cute, loving Snickers, is without a doubt a great dog with many positive qualities. She's also extremely volatile, and I would add she's dangerous around other dogs. And although she's very affectionate toward people of all ages, even total strangers, I might add, she is aggressive and she is in attack mode when it comes to other dogs. In fact, one local dog trainer who knows Snickers describes her as a roughneck, which 
in my view, is casting a positive light on the reason we had to finally return her to the shelter. We had to take her back. The role of judging another, in this case a dog, and then judging the desires and abilities of the Bryants as dog trainers, honestly, this role of judgment has been critical in making a very difficult but wise choice, which, by the way, was the best choice for all concerned. But the Bible says, do not judge lest you be judged. And I don't know about you, but I hear it often. It's not for me to judge. And usually in these cases, people are making an attempt to do the right thing as they understand it. Interesting, though, how we hear so many people say that they are not to judge on a regular basis. You know, I read recently that this direct but brief command from Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount is thought by many to be the most quoted and most misunderstood scripture in the entire Bible. In fact, it's almost as if the people who do share this statement about judging never truly realize that they're making a judgment either on themselves or they're making a judgment on someone else when they quote Jesus here. So exactly what is Jesus talking about here? And why on that day and at that time was he sternly warning the crowds and his disciples about making judgments about other people? Well, according to scholars, Jesus is still in his teaching mode of the Sermon on the Mount. This is where he gathers followers on the side of a grassy knoll on the lakeside. Um, those of you who've been to Israel, you remember what that beautiful grassy knoll looks like. And for the most part, when we look back on especially chapter 5 of Matthew, we see that Jesus is kind of describing and characterizing what many refer to as the interior life, humility, peace, mercy, sacrifice, enduring persecution, carrying out service. And eventually in this area, eventually all this teaching amounts to how one looks upon and acts toward God's created order through God's eyes. Not through human eyes, but through God's eyes. Now, another probable reason for this teaching about judging others at this time and at this place and in this circumstance, I think, is due to the simple fact, and go ahead and check me on this, look it up for yourselves, the disciples were more often than not quite judgmental. In fact, by this time on their journey, they had attempted to shoo away countless people who wanted to be near Jesus. Notice that their typical, their usual response to people who came to Jesus was, Master, send them away. In other words, in the opinion of Jesus' band of followers, these people were uh, out of place. They were infringing on their space. They were not worthy of Jesus' precious time. It seems as if, they still had, the disciples I'm talking about here, still had very little understanding of Jesus' mission to the unwanted, the lost, to those always who had been pushed out to the outer limits of society and the outer limits and the edges of the world. 
You know, it's also in this section of Matthew, especially, that Jesus highlights, this is important, it's also right here that Jesus highlights and epitomizes the teachers of the law and the church leaders of his day as how not to behave. He highlights and epitomizes the teachers of the law, sometimes called the scribes and the Pharisees, as to how not to behave, especially toward one another. You scholars will note that this pattern is very prevalent in this section of parables, stories, and in this section of lessons about the kingdom of heaven. Indeed, the hypocritical church leaders and teachers and scribes of Jesus' day, them exacting unholy and unhealthy judgments upon people, was unfortunately quite a regular occurrence. Accordingly, even today, even without this biblical mandate that we all try to quote and that we all try to follow, we all know that how our judgments of others, I believe, actually speaks volumes about the struggles that you and I have about judging ourselves. One commentator has this to say about this teaching section in the Gospel of Matthew. Clearly, Jesus did not prohibit the judgment of others. He only requires that our judgment be completely fair and that we only judge others by a standard that we would also like to be judged by. And he continues here. When our judgment in regard to others is wrong, it is often not because we judge according to a standard, but because we are hypocritical in the application, in the application of that standard. We ignore the standard in our own life, and it is common to judge others by one standard and ourselves by another standard. It's common for us to be far more generous to ourselves than to others. According to the teaching of some rabbis in Jesus' time, God had two measures that he, that he would use to judge people. One was a measure of, was a measure of justice, and the other was a measure of mercy. Whichever measure you want God to use with you, then you should use that same measure when it comes to others. We should only judge one another's behavior when we are mindful of the fact that we ourselves will be judged, and we should consider how we want to be judged. End quote. So what can you and I learn from the context and the message of today's story in Matthew chapter 7. Well, I believe that you and I are naturally wired to make judgments every day. I mean, we could come up with countless examples. We have to judge in order to survive. We have to judge in order to be safe. We have to judge in order to learn and to grow. We have to make judgments in order to make wise choices. We have to judge in order to not hurt ourselves and to not hurt others. You and I both know every time we get into the driver's seat of a vehicle, especially of a motor vehicle, we put on our judge hat. In fact, every morning, my bicycle seat becomes a judgment seat. Whereas, I must make split-second split judgments about what to do next. Yes, as I ride, especially through the dark neighborhoods of Yuma, I have to judge when to turn, when to stop, when to go all motions one after another 
where and when the consequences determine. Will it be safe or not? Will it be safe for not only me, but the well-being of both myself as well as others in my path? Without question, just kind of loosely proclaiming, it's not for me to judge, I think, can, forgive me now, I think it can get to be a ridiculous statement, and that's just only my opinion. So I wonder, is there a right time and a wrong time to make a judgment? And is there a difference between judging and discerning? Boy, there's a tough one. Go ahead and start looking that one up in in the dictionary. Well, the New Interpreter's Bible refers to this whole teaching section of Matthew as formed by God's reign. You and I are formed and shaped and molded by God's reign in our life. So, back to judgment and being judgmental. Being told I'm judgmental. They're things that I really don't like to discuss. It's clearly one of my least favorite subjects. As a matter of fact, I look back over, uh, I scan teaching records of mine over the last 15 to 20 years. I can't find one place where I ever preached on this specific passage about judgment in the Gospel of Matthew. Come on, really? Do you know anyone who takes well to being told that they are judgmental? It's like we who follow Jesus especially. We all know that by measuring, by sizing up and being critical of other people, that we are doing the opposite of what Jesus teaches us to do, which is to accept, to lift up, and to gracefully include and love as Jesus loves. But there's a tendency in all of us, I think, to one degree or another, to one level or another, there's a tendency in all of us to compare other people with ourselves. Indeed, I know each time I see our neighbors with their two little ankle-biter dogs running around the neighborhood each morning, I want to round them all up. I want to put them all in a kennel. I want to close the door for 15 minutes And I want to sit them down and teach the lot of them about the leash ordinance in Yuma. Yes, those of you who know me would have to admit that I have the ability to be super critical of people without trying too hard. Listen to this same passage again, though, this time. Same passage of scripture from Matthew 7. This time it's from the message. Don't pick on people. Jump on their failures. Criticize their faults. Unless, of course, you want the same treatment. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. Do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you when your own face is distorted? by contempt. It's this whole traveling roadshow mentality all over again, playing a holier-than-thou part instead of just simply living your part. Wipe that ugly sneer off your own face, and you might be fit to offer a washcloth to your own neighbor. Isn't it amazing 
how plain and down to earth the down to earth the message Bible is. Looking on others with contempt, yeah. Having a critical spirit, none of this is the life and the way to live that Jesus wants for any of us. After all, it was Mother Teresa who said, when you are occupied with judging someone, you don't have time to love them. So perhaps, my friends, there's a relationship between the degree in which someone leans toward judging someone else and that same person's capacity to love like Jesus loves. Notice how Jesus speaks here of what he calls small love, and this is from Luke chapter 7. I tell you the truth, that is why her many sins are forgiven. Because of her great love, little is forgiven the one whose love is small. Macrina Weiderker from her book, Seasons of Your Heart, she shares a powerful experience related to the notion of what Jesus calls small love. Listen to this. And this is from from Macrina. When I meditate on the scriptures, I would rather not be the person God is challenging. I don't like to think of myself as the Pharisee or the one with a hardened heart. This morning, as I was praying the beautiful story of Mary washing Jesus' feet with her tears, I was so sure I was the Mary in the story. But suddenly, God came to me. God came to me in a way I did not expect. My comforting, quiet prayer turned into a storm, and I had to, I had to acknowledge the unhappy truth that sometimes I am Simon the Pharisee, judging others without knowing the whole truth. Clearly, my friends, all of us who seek to be like Jesus, clearly, we know that Jesus did not prohibit the judgment of others. Jesus only requires that our clear judgment be completely fair that our judgment be filled with mercy and grace, that our judgment be carried out with compassion and love, and that we only judge others by a standard we would also like to be judged by. O gracious and holy God, guide us, touch us, shape us, remold us. Continue to teach us your holy word Continue to to hold us and take us out into the world. Help us to learn and grow about how to make judgments about ourselves and especially about other people. And when we make these judgments, help us to exact and carry out words of grace, words of compassion. And rather than a small love when we judge, Help us to use a large, holy, grace-filled love every time we judge not only someone else, but even when we judge ourselves. And it's in Christ's holy name that we pray. Amen.